Well, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to Treasuring Christ Church. Straw poll. How many of us have given up on the short sleeves and gone to our winter gear? That's me. I think that's most of us. Some of us, though, I can see you're hanging in there with the short sleeves. The tough guys. All right, I appreciate it. It's good. I'm going to start here today with a visual aid. I'm going to try to put a picture here up as we talk about church's family. There you go. This guy posted this picture of his motorcycle, and his Instagram handle happens to be uh, don't buy it, something like that. So this is a do-it-yourselfer guy, and what he's done is he's made his entire motorcycle out of wood. That means wooden seat, wooden engine, wooden brake calipers, wooden gas tank. Somebody asked him, did you ever ride it? And he said, wouldn't start. <laughs> now, this, this picture is more than just a corny dad joke. It's meant to illustrate something that's kind of a tragedy. This guy made this intricate model of a motorcycle, but he never went with it. It never accomplished the mission of a bike, which is to, to go. And that's a bit of a tragedy there, and that's what we're going to talk about today. For we've been in a series here at TCC called Church's Family. We spent three weeks talking about the church as a family. I'm going to make him go away now. There you go. Church's Family. Uh, and what does that mean? It means we're a family at TCC who cares for one another. We're a family at TCC who bears one another's burdens. We persevere with each other. We love one another. We serve each other. That's what it means to be a family. We've been studying through the book of Romans. And Paul says it well in Romans 12. You'll remember verse 10. He said, We love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And seek to show hospitality. Rejoice with those who rejoice and also weep with those who weep. That's who we are internally as a family. But we're also a family that has an external mission. God has given us an external mission. He didn't bring us all together just to navel gaze. Instead, we have a purpose. And like a Kawasaki Ninja Super Sport motorcycle, we're meant to go. 250 miles per hour, we're meant to go. And that's who we are created to be. Now this is going to connect, our family mission connects to all of us as individuals on different levels. For instance, we have seniors here, senior citizens. Sometimes they wonder, can I still contribute? Yes, you can be a part of our corporate mission. Even if your individual mission in this season of life looks distinct, you can still participate in our corporate mission. We have high schoolers who want to get their hands dirty. You can participate in our family mission. Same thing, we have COVID cautious people still who are sitting at home wondering, how in the world am I going to use my gifts? Well, you use your gifts by participating in the overall mission of the church. 
Same thing. If you're a college student, if you're a millennial parent, man, parents of young kids, you just feel like you're surviving and not thriving. That's okay. You don't have to do every part of the mission of Christ yourself. You participate in the mission of the family of God here at TCC. So today what we're going to do is just look at the scriptures, let them wash over us so that we can grab hold of the mission that Jesus has given us as a church. Because if we don't know what that is, we're not going to be able to accomplish it. So we're going to look at several different scriptures today, all with the aim of understanding the mission God has given us as a family. Not just individuals, but he's giving us as a family purpose and a mission. So let's start there by turning to the book of Isaiah. It might be strange to look for Jesus in the book of Isaiah, but he is there. And you think about what did Jesus do when he was on earth? What was his mission? Because I, what I want to do is to understand our mission, look first to the mission of Jesus. As what we'll see is Jesus' own mission impacts ours. So you think about what Jesus did. Well, he did a lot of things. He had conversations. He went to parties. He stumped teachers. He healed people. Jesus was doing a lot of things in his earthly ministry. But what was his primary mission? That's the question. If we were to take the time to read the entire storyline of the Bible, which many of you have done, you would remember that at a very early age, very early stage in the Bible story, people rebelled against their creator. God created everything good. Man, Adam and Eve, rebelled. And from the very start, God promised them, I'm still going to save my people. In spite of your mutiny, I'm going to save my people. As you keep reading through the story, you get to Abraham, you get to Moses, you get to David. God keeps saying to each one of them, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you, I'm going to save you. He has a consistent ethic of salvation throughout the scripture. This year we took some of our youth on mission to Europe. And when we got done, we had a day or two before we flew back home. So we went to the world's largest fair swing set. You know the fair swing sets that they have 30 swings dangling from a pole and then it goes up and now you're going Phew. So I took them there and I stood at the bottom, not because I was scared, I just had to supervise, you see. But the kids got on it and I stood at the bottom and they started twirling at the bottom and then what happened? It rose up and it twirled at the top. That's the way salvation works in the Bible. Even though the time goes farther and farther away, it's like a loop. God says, I'm going to save you. People rebel. I'm going to save you. People rebel. I'm going to save you. People rebel. All the way up into the prophets, the prophets start talking about someone who's coming as a rescuer. And we see that in Isaiah 61. In Isaiah 61, Isaiah has introduced someone who's going to serve God's mission. He says, there's going to be one person who is the servant of all of my promises. Now we know it's Jesus from Nazareth. But the people receiving the first message didn't know. Listen to what he says. Isaiah 61, verse 1. 
This is the mission that Jesus has been given. The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, says this missionary, because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He sent me to build up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and opening of the prison to those who are bound. Now, if you look at that passage, you see this sending language. He has sent me, says Jesus, about the Father. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted. When you hear sending language, that is a mission talk. When you're in the Bible and you're reading, you see the word apostle. That also means one sent out. So this is sending language to reveal that Jesus has a mission. The language used about his mission is language of rescue and release. I hope you see it. Liberty, opening of a prison, binding up the brokenhearted, proclaim. This is language of rescue and release. We see that even in the Old Testament, it's revealed that Jesus' quest is to bring about the salvation of God's people through the forgiveness of his sin. When you read about release and liberty, this is release from the captivity to your own sin. Jesus will do this through the death and resurrection and the return, and he's the focal point throughout the whole story. This weekend, like many of you, I'm sure, uh, in the Williams house, we lost power for about a day because of the storm. Trees went down, power went out. And so I have a mission to get the power back on, right? All that I can do is text with Duke. They have a system, text, yes, is it out, okay. So I'm in a text conversation. I also get get on their map, and it tells you how many people are out here. And a neighbor went up to see where exactly the tree was down on the line. All of this we were doing, but the focal point of getting the power back on was the actual technician who came and did the work. Such is the case here with Jesus. Jesus is the focal point of God's mission because he's the one who actually comes and carries out his plan of salvation. Now I want to look briefly at the words of Jesus. If you remember, we only have four books where Jesus is mentioned as the character we're watching. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Only four books in the whole Bible that are really about his life where we see him speaking clearly about his own mission. So what I want to do is to look at each of these scriptures quickly so that we can get it into our heads and into our hearts, the mission of Jesus. And then what we'll see is he takes his mission and he then gives it to us. So let's look here first in the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 13. This is Jesus talking in Mark 13. He's talking about what he might call the end times, the end of days. And before this happened, he talks in missional language. He says in Mark 13.10, he said, The gospel before the end comes must first be proclaimed to all nations. One thing I want you to notice about this is when Jesus talks about the mission of God, he uses proclamation language, right? There is a speaking involved. There's a proclamation of a message to all nations. That's as clear of a statement as he gives in Mark about his mission that he's going to hand off to his people. Now, if we look over to Matthew, 
you'll see another commission where he's talking about his mission he's handing off to the church. Not to individuals, but to us as a family. Here we go famously in Matthew 28, 18. You'll see that Jesus is passing his baton of salvation and forgiveness of sins to the church. Verse 18. Jesus came and he said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So I have the authority to save. Now, you go. It's interesting that he doesn't say, God's given me the authority to save, so now I'm going everywhere. It's not what Jesus did. His mission was very limited in and around the Jewish people. Occasionally he would talk to a Gentile, but mostly to the Jews. But he's saying to the church now, you take my mission and go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The emphasis here is on making disciples. I'm giving you a mission to make disciples in my name. You baptize them. You teach them. This is what you should be about, church. That's Matthew's perspective. Let's look at another gospel. Let's look at the gospel of Luke. I know we're turning a lot, but... That's okay. Luke 24, beginning in 46. You'll see a similar emphasis here. And Jesus says to them, Thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead and that repentance for the forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed. Right? So he's telling the story Christ did the suffering. Christ did the dying. Christ did the raising. That's his mission. Now ours is to make sure this gets proclaimed in his name to all the nations, beginning from Jerusalem, and you are witnesses of these things. So the original apostles saw Jesus, and they are to take that and pass it on verbally to proclaim it in writing so that all may hear and receive salvation through the work of Jesus. Notice here especially the emphasis on forgiveness of sins. He mentioned repentance, forgiveness of sins. One other passage here in the Gospels I want to look at, the Gospel of John. If you've read John before, you know his perspective is always unique. He has a different point of view and still you will see that he lines up with God's central mission to save his people. John 20, 22. Jesus has died. Now he's alive again. He's risen from the dead. And he turns to his followers and he says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. But if you withhold forgiveness from them, it is withheld. In other words, if you don't go and talk about forgiveness of sins offered through me, it will be withheld from them. Your mission is to be the tip of the spear. You have to go and share all about me, or my good news will not reach them. It is your mission. It's interesting. We have a Bible reading plan here at TCC 
that allows you to have a section of the Bible to read every day for your devotion. Uh, it's focused this year on the New Testament. Uh, if you're not into it thus far, but you want to get into it, it's not too late because we're just starting a new book. And we're just starting 1 John this week. So in 1 John, who's the same author as the Gospel of John that I just read, I, I learned in my devotions as I was reading that in the letter to the First John, he starts the whole letter talking about this baton change, this exchange of mission. If you look with me in First John, it was fascinating because in the Gospel of John, you see John receiving the mission from Jesus. And in First John, you see him passing it on to the church. First John 4, John's writing and he says, we're writing these things so that your joy our joy may be complete. In other words, it was John's joy to be on mission. It was his joy to share and spread a love for Jesus. It was his joy to talk about how his sins were forgiven because of the grace of God in Christ. I'm writing these things so that our joy can be complete. This is the message we have heard from him and we proclaim to you. Here's the message I heard and now I'm giving it to you. That God is light and in him there's no darkness at all. Now he's framing the gospel in terms of creation and new creation. What we just sang about earlier, J.D. read the scriptures. He's framing this so that we will know that God has always had a plan of salvation. From creation all the way to new creation. From darkness to light, God is saving his people. Verse 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie, we don't practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, and he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, that's church's family, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. The truth's not in it. But if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Get the picture John has seen Jesus face to face. He comes to the church and he says, you can have forgiveness of sins in Jesus Christ. He's giving them a package, not just to open themselves, although it is that, but they are to deliver this package to the nations. And so if we're going to sum this up, we've been talking about the mission of Jesus, we would say that Jesus... It's about saving, about forgiveness of sins, and he gives that very same mission to us to proclaim. That should be the focal point of what we do. We used to say it around here, spread a joyful love for Jesus Christ, and I think that's about right. The question I want to pose today, some of this may just be review to you, and you might be thinking, yes, 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 I know this. I've read these. I've read the Bible before. I get it. But as these scriptures wash over us, I think God would have us ask the question, what are some barriers that prohibit us from completing the mission of God? What things slow us down in getting the mission from Jesus and taking it out to others? Earlier I mentioned this is kind of like Jesus passing a baton off to the church, passing the mission of God off to the church. This week I was reading about the U.S. men's track and field team. And you may know this if you've ever watched the Olympics or the world's championship, this team is known for one thing, either they're great 
or they get disqualified. Uh, here's a stat. Since 1988, our top runners in this country have had 12 medals and have had, in the same period, 11 disqualifications. So 12 medals, 11 DQs. Almost all of those DQs are for messing up the baton pass. All right? So I'm thinking, as I'm reading this, hey, maybe we can learn from their mistakes because they seem to be the master of messing up. So I'm reading this article, and this expert is analyzing why, why in the world can our best runners not make a clean baton exchange? I'm going to give you some reasons, and then I want to apply that to us and see if we have the same reasons when we drop the mission of God. Hopefully that makes sense. So, if you're interested, here's the first reason why the U.S. men's team always drop the baton first. It's a blind exchange, all right? It's a blind exchange. What that means is the person receiving the baton is looking that way. He's not looking at the person handing the baton off. That's telling, isn't it? When we get off mission as a church, it's probably because individually and corporately, we are not looking at Jesus. We name the church Treasuring Christ Church because it's essential in all that we do to see and to treasure Christ. But when we fail to do that, there's no way we're taking the mission of Jesus and successfully carrying it across the finish line. So here's the question. What might take your eyes off Jesus this week? What might take your eyes off treasuring Christ this week? Remember, our culture is not going to give us this baton exchange. It's not going to give us our true purpose. Even the Christian subculture often will not. The podcast often will not. You must look to Jesus. Paul seems to be doing that. Those of you who've been reading through the book of Romans with us, he seems to be doing that as he thinks about missions what he does is he looks to Jesus and then he stops. You might remember, right after talking about Jesus and Jesus and Jesus, he stops and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches of wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgment. How inscrutable are his ways. He's looking at Jesus. He's amazed at who he is. He's treasuring him. And then it seems to be a natural overflow for him to pour Jesus out to others. So this is just my challenge question. What in your life this week might be keeping you from seeing Jesus? Because we don't want a blind exchange. Here's another reason. Experts say the U.S. men's team dropped the baton. There's too much speed involved. Think about it. You've got two of the fastest men on the planet. One starting off fast. One ending up fast. They're bound to drop the baton. Something's going to get botch unless one of them slows down. Where are we running too fast in your life? Where are you running too fast that you're missing the mission of Jesus? We had a meeting a couple weeks ago and Pastor Josh was there and he, he was reminding us and he said sometimes you need to go slow in order to go fast. You need to slow everything down 
to make sure you accomplish God's main purpose for you, which is the mission that Jesus has given you. Where do you need to slow down a little bit? Here's the third reason, then we'll leave, stop picking on the men's national team. But I thought it was interesting. Here's the third reason experts say they are the best in the world at dropping the baton. They run out of the exchange zone. Do you know what the exchange zone is? On the track, you have a box, and you have to pass the baton in a relay race in this box. So you can't run past this line. And so what the runners do is they think, ah, I'll maximize efficiently and I'll wait all the way to the end before I pass it so that I can get a good running start, right? But when they do that, they often drop or bobble the exchange. I wonder where in our lives we are being incredibly efficient, but the result is we don't win the race. Could be in your leisure life, could be in your vocational life where you're spending all this efficiency, and that's good unless it hinders you from accomplishing the very mission that Jesus has given us as a church. Now, all these questions that I'm asking, to be clear, are not meant to land in a way that says, ah, hey, I need to do better. That's right, I need to straighten up. The preacher just mentioned, we can get off mention, so I need to straighten up. That's not really what I'm getting at here. It's more meant to be a call to trust that God can work within you in the way that He promised that He would. In other words, being successful on mission isn't something necessarily that you create. God can create it in you as you trust. I was reminded this week by author Stacy Roach, and she reminded me as I was reading this article that God has the power within us to accomplish his mission. Listen to what she wrote. She said, Just as God equipped Moses to lead the Israelites with Aaron and his staff, just as God kept his promise to give Joshua victory over the Canaanites, just as God gave Esther the courage to go before the king, he will also equip you for the task that he gives us. I want you to trust in that. That's what I'm calling you to do. I'm calling you to hope in the God who allowed Esther to stand before the king. This was a death or no death moment. And God accomplished his purpose through someone who I'm sure was scared to death. As Paul puts it, God is able to make all grace abound to you. How much grace? All grace abound to you so that what? Having all sufficiency in all things at all time so that you may abound in every good work. If God's got something He wants you to do, His grace is sufficient to allow you to carry out that mission as an individual and as a whole, as a family. God doesn't call us to something only to leave us to fend for ourselves. He's with us. He provides for us. He enables us to finish the assignment God empowers you to grasp hold of the mission of Jesus. That's your call today. Now, I want to look somewhere else. I also want to look in Paul. We've been studying through the book of Romans. Next week, we'll be back in it. I want to look and see, does Paul have anything to say about this? And what do we see when Paul takes the mission from Jesus and he starts running? What do we see in him? Okay. 
So first, just very briefly, the start of Romans. We've read through the book together. You know it. Romans 1.5, remember how Paul starts. In the beginning of the book, he says in verse 1.5, he says, Through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship. Remember what apostle means. It's somebody who's sent on a mission. We've received grace and apostleship to bring about the obedience of faith for the sake of the name among the nations. What is the obedience of faith? That sounds weird. Well, it's very similar to what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying, take my mission of forgiveness of sins and share it. When we share it, the Holy Spirit will take that message and create faith inside of people. Paul is saying, my mission is to go out and by the Holy Spirit produce people who trust Jesus. The obedience of faith is flowering through his mission. Faith to all of the nations there. Where are all of the nations? North America, Turkey, Japan, Basically, everyone who is not an ethnic Jew is included in all the nations. That means if you share with a co-worker tomorrow, you can bring about the obedience of faith to the nations. This is the mission of the church here. As we go, whatever we're doing through our ministries, we want to aim at that. That's going to be our target. Now, we've seen what Paul said briefly. Let's look at his life for just a second. I want to look in Acts 13. Type that into your phone if you're following by phone. Acts 13. Here we get a movie clip of the early church meeting. All right? It's just like this, except smaller, probably. We don't know for sure. But we get a little movie clip of what the early church is doing as a church. Acts 13, verse 1. Now, there were in the church at Antioch prophets and some teachers. Barnabas is there. Simeon, who's also called Niger. Lucius of Cyrene. Menaean, who's a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch. And Saul. Now, this is funny here because we get some background information, right? One guy here, he's a friend of Herod. The other guy, we, tell, we know his nickname. Why is he giving those details? Well, that's what family does. We know that information because they're actually a family. He's giving names and nicknames because it's a family. And families know that about each other. Look what they're doing here. Verse 2, while they are worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then after fasting and praying, they laid hands on them and they what? They sent them off. That's mission talk, right? They sent them off. Now notice who's directing this. It is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit says, set apart this guy and this guy, but who is the one sending? It's actually the church. It's the church as a family. The mission mechanism we have is to set apart people and to send them out. And we've been doing that. Into our neighborhoods, overseas, setting apart as a family. Remember, not everyone here in this church left. We don't hear about Lucius leaving the church. But we do hear that some of them, Saul and Barnabas, they left. 
Now, what do they do when they get sent out? Well, we're not going to read all of it. Acts 13 and Acts 14 contains an account of the early mission of the first church. Read it, have fun with it, but Paul summarizes it in Acts 14, 21 through 23. And we'll see what he says. Again, the picture here, some are praying, some are sending, some are going. Nobody's passive. Nobody's passive in the mission of the church. If you're thinking that, you're doing it wrong. Come to us and we'll help you be active in the mission of the church. But look here in Acts 14, 21 through 23. What's Paul saying is his mission? What's he doing? What kind of stuff is he doing? He said, well, when they had preached the gospel to that city and had made many disciples, that sounds very similar to the Great Commission, right? Proclamation, their disciple making. They returned to Lystra, Iconium, Antioch, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith, saying that through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom of God. And when they appointed elders in every church with prayer and fasting, they committed them to the Lord in whom they believe. What's going on here? Let's look at the meaty part of the mission that Paul's early church had. Uh, author Kevin DeYoung calls this the three-legged stool of mission first. You see in verse 21, they're making new converts. That's evangelism. They're going out, the church is sending people out, and they're expecting to see new converts. This is what we did this summer. We sent some people out from our church. We saw about 11 or 12 converts in Europe trying to live out this mission here. Verse 23, and when they had appointed elders for them in every church, that sounds like church communities, new communities. We call that church planting. They are forming new communities. That's why Pastor Sean spends a good deal of his time working to plant more churches here in North America. We're also doing that overseas. You can be a part of that. Verse 22, strengthening the souls of the disciples, encouraging them to continue in the faith. Churches are being nurtured. That's a part of our mission. One big reason we have KTC is we want to see our children discipled. We have classes here. Our mission is to disciple our people, to nurture the churches. It's exactly what Paul is doing as he's starting new churches. So you see here the goal of mission is evangelism, discipleship, church planting. This will be our primary outreach avenue as a church. But we have to stay focused. I was reminded that uh, oftentimes through one of our ministries here at TCC called SIT, we engage international students at NC State who come from usually India but some other places as well. One of the things we do to engage with them is to go shopping with them. We're building a relationship, hopefully able to uh, share the gospel because they can speak good English. But it's amazing. This has happened two or three times with me. I've taken an international student to the grocery store and I'll look at their list, and they won't have much because they do a lot of their shopping at a different grocery store, um, which is an international store. But if you take them to the uh, American food store, they'll have a list, and it'll be seven to ten items. And I've taken kids there, and when they get there, they'll walk around, and I see that they're pretty much paralyzed. They're not picking stuff out. They're not buying stuff. And I'll say, 
hey, is this an English language barrier thing? And I, no, 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 we can speak English better than you because you're from Tennessee. They'll say, the problem is, you got so many choices here that I'm distracted. I just have cereal on my list. My roommate said, pick up cereal. And now you have 30 choices. We don't have that where I'm from. They're distracted by so many other things. And we must make sure as a church, we are not distracted from our primary mission given to us by God, lived out in the early church by Paul. We must maintain this focus. Now, some of us could hear this and have a good question. And it could go something like this. I understand that God wants us to evangelize, make disciples, plant churches. But what about the other things? For instance, this morning, Josh gave a really good prayer and we all prayed for disaster relief here in the Triangle, in Florida. Hey, why don't we just make that our main mission? We're pretty good at this. We could do this okay. And after all, I frankly have a greater passion for disaster relief than I do about talking about Jesus because that makes me nervous over there. But when I do disaster relief, I'm using my normal gifts and it feels so natural. That's a good question. To that, we have a couple of answers. Here they are. First, we love disaster relief here at TCC. When tornadoes racked downtown Raleigh, we responded. When Nepal was ravaged by floods, we responded. We're working with churches there. We recognize that Paul himself did disaster relief for the poor church in Jerusalem. We love it, so I don't want to make this a competition where helping people is against and in competition with. So don't think about it that way. If you have a, more of a helping heart than a proclaiming heart, don't see it in competition. These are two hands of the same body reaching out. A mercy ministry hand and a proclamation discipling hand. However... There does seem to be a dominant hand in Scripture when it comes to the mission of the church. In every single gospel, when Jesus is passing off the mission, he is emphasizing first evangelism, discipleship, baptizing, teaching, churchy stuff. So that's why we keep this as you might call the dominant hand of mission. One simple grid might be to ask yourself when you're thinking about, well, how do I make sure I stay on mission? Here's an example. This year, uh, people at TCC have been working with um, refugees from Afghanistan. right? And I went over one time, and uh, what you do if you know refugee ministry, when people first come here from the country, uh, they have a lot of needs. It's furniture, it's groceries, it's get me a job, there's legal things. And so we help with that. And we hope to have conversations along the way about Jesus. So I'm, I'm over there, and I'm with my kids, and we're hauling some furniture over there, and we're setting up shelves, and uh, maybe we brought some um, food, a gift card. And I'm doing that, and there's a knock on the door. So I'm in the refugee home, and there's a knock on the door, and a lady shows up, and she's not a refugee, uh, white like me, but she has a, her head is covered. And she says hello to the family. They obviously know her. And she comes in. And she's from another agency. And I don't know 
if she's Christian or not. She's not really talking like that, but who knows, she could be. And I start thinking, well, she might be a Muslim, right? So I can carry furniture, and it looks a lot alike her carrying furniture and giving it away. She brought some food, and I brought some food. She's giving them a little money. I'm giving a little money. That looks a lot alike. In other words, so far a Muslim could do everything that I've done from their religious perspective. But then I started thinking, what if I talk about Jesus? If I share that Jesus Christ can be your treasure and he'll forgive you of your sin and he is God, it's going to look a lot different than what she says. That proclamation is different. She can't do the proclamation that I can do. When I start saying, here's how you grow closer and you treasure Christ by reading about him as God in the New Testament, she's not going there with me. When I say, oh, here's a great church that treasures Jesus and puts him first, bows to him and worships him alone, she can't do that with me. So it's a good grid sometimes to make sure we're staying focused as we're looking out and we're doing our mission together. If somebody from another religion can do everything that you're doing, it might not be the dominant hand of the mission of the church. We are called to spread a joyful love for Jesus, and that filters through all of the mercy missions that we do here at church. Now finally, I want to emphasize something because we're at the end of three weeks on talking about the church as a family, right? So how does us being a family propel us to achieve our mission together? We could do a whole other sermon on this. We just don't have time. But look with me at Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Because there's family talk in this verse. Ephesians 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God... As beloved children, hear the family talk there, children. And walk in love, how? As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So here is a principle that we are to be walking in love with each other and also with people outside of the church in the same fashion that Christ loved us, we are to love other people. It's a sacrificial, a servant-hearted type of love. And again, it's worth reminding us as we think about the love that we receive from Jesus and passing it on, this is not something that God expects you to muster up. This is not something where you clench your fist and you say, I must be loving. That's not it. What he's saying is, I have planted and put love inside of you so that it can overflow. Listen to what Paul Tripp says. He says, God doesn't save us, accept us into his family, and then leave us out of our own resources to be holy as he is holy on our own, or loving as he is loving on our own. In fact, because of his grace, our weakness, our weakness to love, you might feel it, I sure do, That weakness isn't a curse, but it becomes a doorway to greater power and potential than we have ever known. This is why Paul will say, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. And now to him who is able to do far more abundantly 
than all we ask or think according to the powers at work within us. So, I am calling you once again to consider the power at work within you to use that love of Christ on others in the church. And as we love one another, that will free us up to go on mission. The idea is that loved people love people, right? If you feel the love of Christ in this church, it will inspire and propel and motivate and empower you to share the love of Jesus to other people. At this church, you should feel heard. You should get hugged. Now that COVID's over, we can do that. People will stand beside you. People will be for you. You'll make brother and sister relationships. And all of that serves as a foundation that you can stand on as you go. Loved people can love people. wasn't so long ago, tragically, that I was working with some other people in the church in the life of a young teen here in town. And he had a lot of troubles Felt like everything was against this guy. His parents were not living together. Didn't have a lot of income. And so we were walking with him through instance and instance and instance where he would hurt somebody else or he would hurt himself. Hurt somebody else or hurt himself. Always being in trouble. And it was crystal clear that he had not been loved well in his home and that was impacting his ability to love others. Praise God that he has not created the church that way. The church should be the opposite. We should love each other well here in our church home so that we have the power to go out and love well. In a moment, we're going to do something that's a little bit different here. It's not scary. It's just different. But uh, we have one of our international worker families here with us. So as a stamp an exclamation mark to the end of this study. I'm going to invite them up here and ask them a few questions because they are someone that we have appointed, set apart, and sent out to do a special work of mission overseas. So I thought it would be cool to hear some testifying uh, testimonies from them in a moment. So I'm going to pray for us that we will continue to be on mission together. And then we're going to have a little interview. If you're watching online, if you're at home because of COVID or sickness, this part will probably go to some music playing or something because uh, we can't share this online because of some safety concerns. Uh, So we'll be back, though, in a moment after this. So let me pray for us. God, thank you for the grace we've been given in Jesus. Thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for giving us your mission. You have passed the baton to us, and now it's our joy to go. You can complete our joy by sending us, and we can share about the love and the forgiveness of Jesus. Help us to do that well, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen.